0: Coming up on this week's show, Ariel Tokna is here to discuss her two latest books, Talking in Code
1: and Stage 2. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode number 81 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction
2: Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknouse.com.
0: This week's episode is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help support the show in just a few moments. And I'm trying to think of a cute segue, but I got nothing. Oh, well. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Good. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Well, I had... Okay, here's the thing. Do you want to talk... I had a uh, an emotional... I had a midweek emotional... Um, how would you describe
2: it? I would almost call it an epiphany of sorts. Oh Well, yeah, kind of an epiphany. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about it. If you want to talk about it, talk about it. Well, no, I don't want to talk about it in
0: detail. I just wanted to m- mention... Um,
2: Something that happened to me this week. So something happened. All right. Are you going to leave it at that and leave our audience <laughs> in suspense as to what that might have been? <laughs> um. You know what? I think it is.
0: I think I have had recently, specifically, had problems with knowing my purpose or understanding my purpose or knowing my why you know having a purpose driven life and knowing your why are all kind of buzzwords and hot topics in self help specifically right now yes very certainly um and i think when we hear uh inspirational stories whether of like you know ordinary people who did something extraordinary or, you know, you hear celebrities talking in interviews about the, the one moment that changed everything for them. Um, <sighs> I think for most people, life just doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, for most of us, there isn't one specific moment where we figure it all out and we understand what we're supposed to do. <laughs> so I had a moment midweek. Where I sort of inched closer to uh, understanding uh, what I might think about doing in the future. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I, I expressed that using my words to you, which is difficult. Yes. Uh, I I don't like talking about my feelings. I'm not good at it.
2: But uh, so I shared that with you. You did. We had a growth moment. We did. It was good. (laughs) So how are you? Yeah. Make no mistake that it was a good moment, even though he's not talking a lot about it here, which I totally understand. Um, It was good. I'm good. It was a weird, it was the weirdest week yet, potentially. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. I, uh, aside I spent...
0: from my silly shenanigans, you <laughs> had, um, had an awkward, weird, messed up week.
2: Awkward is a good way to put it. I was on jury duty this week, so. Yay
0: like, for civil duties.
2: Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and pretty much all day Wednesday and Thursday and half a Friday, I was at the county courthouse doing my civic duty, which I'm 100% okay with. I'm not, I'm not one of these people who goes, ugh, jury duty, only... Only to the point that it affects just getting stuff done that was already on the schedule. And I, I got most of what had to get done done with the with both the day job and the writing stuff. So, but it made for an awkward week. So, yeah. It was an interesting case, though, that I can't talk about yet because it's still in deliberations. But I will have things to say on the podcast okay. at a later point because there all are right. things I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> From sure. That. So, maybe on episode 83 when all, all the shenanigans should be over with. Okay. Um, somewhere at Mackinac comes out next week. It certainly does. May 3rd. That's a Wednesday. The blog store, actually, the blog store, what? No, the blog tour actually will start up on Tuesday, April 26th. So that's right around the corner. Uh, and I'll have the complete schedule for that at jeffadamswrites.com and a link to it in the show notes if you'd like to check out the blog tour, which will have excerpts and giveaways, and all sorts of groovy stuff. And in fact, we'll be giving away a copy on the podcast here in a couple weeks. Uh, other writing stuff that happened finally finalized the winger cover, which was very exciting, and did some revisions on winger Two. while, I was hanging out at the courthouse because <laughs> you might as well do something when you're stuck with no Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, also circled back and started to polish up some of our dreamspun desires that we have that is due on May first mm-hmm. to turn in. So it was some stuff got done. There you go. Uh, We do want to take a moment to recommend uh, a fellow podcast, uh, as we sometimes do on the show. We think you should all go listen to episode 243 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. Uh, We love that show. Sarah Wendell's pretty awesome. And uh, in this episode, she interviews Faith Saley. If you remember back around Valentine's Day, well, actually on Valentine's Day, because I think that was a Sunday this year, uh, CBS Sunday Morning did a piece on romance books. And Faith was the one who put that together. So they talked a little bit about the piece and kind of what went on, you know, behind the scenes of it. And also talked about Faith's new book, Approval Junkie. All in all, it was a delightful hour-ish of listening, uh, both to hear behind the scenes and about kind of Faith's conversion into reading romance and this particular book that she's got out. I think I actually want to pick up Approval Junkie because some of it sounded uh, relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked it.
0: It was a really good show. Yeah.
2: And we like Sarah a lot. We aspire to her 240-something episodes, <laughs> for, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, let's see. To remind people, this is the final week of the Autism Awareness Month auction that Tammy Middleton's hosting. Uh, runs through Sunday, April 30th, and you can get all the details on that at t- 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 c- com, or you can catch the link in the show notes for that. Awesome. Yeah. Would you like to congratulate our winner?
0: The winner of the signed Damon Suede paperback was Zach. Congratulations, to Zach. Damon will be sending out his signed copy of Lickety Split
2: really soon. I almost wrote he'll send out his paperback, Lickety Split. (laughs) But I didn't get that cute. But now I've kind of been that cute. You're so so funny. Yeah. You're so funny. Sometimes you just have to make use with the words you've got to use. I suppose so. Yes.
0: Um, incidentally, we want to toot our own horn very briefly, a, a horn, that's what I meant to say, to- tooting <laughs> horns here, um, last week's episode with Serena Bowen happened to be our most downloaded episode ever. So, thank you to everyone, uh, our current listeners, we love you and appreciate you, and thank you to any new listeners who may have, like, uh, come into the fold and decided to check us out uh on the um of the interwebs of
2: the yeah sure and to throw in also since you threw that in and that wasn't even in our script uh we're now available on soundcloud also uh starting with episode 80 which was this past week's episode uh we'll be on soundcloud each and every monday going forward as well Mm -hmm. so if soundcloud's your jam you can pick us up over there yes now to all of
0: our current listeners and all of our new listeners, you can always help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For less than the price of a coffee a month, your pledge helps pay the cost of producing and distributing this show. Now, for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. And you can check out the lists of upcoming guests at patreon.com slash Um We've got some interesting people coming up in the future.
2: Yes, we do. We'll, and, be, we'll um, be making some significant announcements over on the Patreon page, probably within the next couple weeks. Awesome. We'll also be filming our
0: bonus Patreon-only video episode uh, relatively soon. So people who are current patrons and... Uh, patrons in the future (laughs) you can certainly go over to our Patreon page and ask us questions whether about us or about books or what have you Yes. Yeah. so if you have any suggestions for that upcoming bonus episode be sure to drop on by you can go to patreon.com
2: slash big gay fiction podcast in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams Jordan Monroe travels to Mackinac Island for the Somewhere in Time fan celebration weekend once there, he becomes attracted to local stable owner Miles Coulter. When Jordan learns the stable's in trouble, he wants to help despite Miles' resistance. As their relationship grows, he dreads the issues that face them. Can they forge a love as timeless as the romance in their favorite film? Find out in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams. Available from DreamspinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. So, my reading slump has come to
0: an end. <laughs> Woohoo! It was a brief slump. It was a brief, (laughs) brief slump. Uh, So this week, I would like to talk about Forgotten Paradise by Shira Anthony. Um, This is, let me see, book number 32 of the Dreamspun Desires line. And this particular book is, as you might ascertain from the title, an amnesia story. So Forgotten Paradise is about Adam. He is a stressed out business guy. His family company is going through some difficult times. Uh, Specifically, a larger tech firm is uh, trying to buy him out. And so he's all like stressed out about that. Uh, And his family forces him to chill out for a bit and go on a vacation. So he takes a week long uh, vacation in the Dominican Republic at a really fancy resort. And at the fancy resort, Adam meets The scuba instructor Jonah, who is really dreamy and super awesome, and they go diving, and they dance, and they have drinks, and they go to dinner, and they get to know each other, and they fall in love. Aww. Yeah. Although it turns out, Jonah is the one with amnesia. He turned up uh, on a beach, not knowing who he was ten years prior. Uh, oh, and so he has found his way to this resort where he now teaches tourists how to scuba dive, and uh, so he's had amnesia for ten years. He's had amnesia for t- a decade. Poor guy. Uh, and on on the evening before Adam leaves, they uh, finally consummate their love, and that uh, physical encounter uh, unleashes the floodgates of Jonah's memory. And he finally remembers who he is. So, fast forward slightly to uh, the real world. Adam has to go back to his uh, struggling family business. And Jonah realizes he is the uh, CEO of the billion dollar tech firm that is trying to take over Adam's family business. I got trouble, so <laughs> so the two of them have to work through not only the family issues that face them, but the business issues and the uh, emotional stuff that that faces them. You'd think, you know, since they were having such a swell time in the Dominican Republic, they could just like pick up again when they got back home. But actually, the issues um, are a lot more complicated, especially for Jonah, uh, kind of coming to terms with. Who he was ten years ago, uh, and who he has become—he, you know, the better man that he has become now, because he comes to realize that you know the man he was ten years ago was sort of a, 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 a douchey billionaire CEO in the like *Harlequin Presents* vein. <laughs> he was—he he was a ruthless bastard, <laughs> and uh, uh, a trauma forced him to. Go out sailing in a storm, which is why he ended up on that beach not remembering who he was. Anyway, so (laughs) Adam and Jonah eventually figure everything out and uh, happily ever after ensues. Uh, I really enjoyed this latest book by Shira Anthony, as I have, you know, all the previous ones. And I highly recommend Forgotten Paradise. I think I want to read
2: that one. I'm going to do that one up my TBR a little bit because that sounds kind of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Ten-year amnesia. Little workplace problem. Yeah, it was really yeah, good. Like I liked a like lot. That. So, I went back to the J-Bell books mm-hmm. and did something like Winter uh, this past uh, week or so. That's the second book in the series? That's the second book in the series. And this one is the flip side of something like Summer, because this time out we get Tim's point of view. Now, is that the exact same story? Almost. Because here's here's
0: the groovy thing about what this does. It's not some E. L. James bullshit where you know Fifty Shades becomes gray. This book
2: <laughs> starts be- just say no. It's nothing like that. I haven't read Gray to No. I get the it, general idea. But trust me, it's bullshit. I will tell you. I will tell you what this is, and then you can figure out what you what you think it is analogous to. I'm sure it's nothing like that. Go this on. story starts before something like summer. Okay. So we see Tim's life a little bit in Kansas City as as his family's picking up to leave, right. to move to Houston where Ben lives. Then we get the story of uh, something like summer mm-hmm. retold from Tim's point of view. Yes. But then it also goes forward past where something like summer ended. Okay. okay. Um, which I... I really liked, so I liked getting the, I liked getting the the beyond where summer ended to see more of what happened, because summer left you in a good spot, but now winter takes you beyond that particular spot, uh, and I liked getting a little bit of Tim in Kansas City because mm-hmm. um, some crap went down for him before he moved. Um, I spent a good bit of something like summer not liking Tim. So, to recap, because I'm, I'm really good about not recapping well, um, summer and winter are both about the relationship that goes on between Ben and Tim that starts when they're high school juniors and for summer goes out a little more than a decade because they're both out of college and having life uh-huh. outside of college. Okay. So, it goes on about a decade. And Tim, because he couldn't come out in high school, couldn't, wouldn't come out in high school, walks away from Tim, uh, pushes Ben away rather and changes high schools and then they don't see each other again until uh, midway through college. And Tim does everything he can to get Ben back to the extent that occasionally you're just pissed off with him because he's going above and beyond what's appropriate (laughs) to, to try and get Ben back. Uh getting the story from Tim's point of view now doesn't make him less of a dick in these situations <laughs> but you at least get a lot more about where he's coming from with it. Okay. Uh there's some really touching material in here. Uh there was one day I was driving to the courthouse for my for my my jury duty and I just sobbing in the car because we hit a scene that I knew was coming because of what was talked about in summer. Mm-hmm. And then the way that Jay told it just destroyed me even though I knew it was coming. So um, you could tell also, as you, as you can often see with authors, as they keep writing how their, their style evolves and they get better and better and better. And Jay certainly did that here where, I mean, Summer was is a damn good book, but then he just gets, his storytelling just goes above and beyond. And I think that's a little bit here because of what, Tim deals with Ben has a pretty good life overall from the beginning. Tim has a lot of stuff. That's just not right with parents who don't really want to acknowledge his existence. Uh, Cause he's kind of like the kid they didn't want in the first place um, to making some bad choices and just on and on pick up these books. They're really awesome. They they're there. They straddle the, the young adult, new adult thing, because of the high school and the college. Mm -hmm. But they're so good. Um, I'm really eager to see the movie. Even more so now, because I'm curious how they'll do the movie, if they'll keep the movie more tilted towards Ben's point of view, or if they'll kind of mesh the two books Mm -hmm. together for one complete story. Cool. So, yeah. Um, I've written reviews on jeffadamswrites.com, and that will be in the show notes. Cool. Now, not too long ago, you had the chance to talk to friend of the podcast, Ariel takna Yes, uh, she has two books that have come out. Uh, well, one that's coming out uh, very shortly because uh, Take Two is her latest Dreamspun Desire that continues the Lexington Lovers series. Love that series. I do too. They're so, so good. They're really good. Uh, and that is the May first book uh, for the Dreamspun line. If you've got, if you're on the paperback subscription, you probably already have it because ours showed up this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, she released one a little earlier this spring called, called Talking in Code, mm-hmm. uh, which is a menage book that uh, is very different from the Lexington Lover's books. Uh, so we talked to her about that. We also talked to her about her her job at DreamSpinner as their translations coordinator and learned a lot of good stuff about that. So let's go check that out. I'm excited to welcome Ariel Tokna to the podcast. Ariel lives outside of Houston with her husband, daughter, son, and their cat. Before moving there, she traveled all over the world, having fallen in love with both France, where she found her husband, and India, where she dreams of retiring someday. She's bilingual, with snippets of four other languages to her credit, and is as in love with languages as she is with writing. In addition to the writing, she's also Spinner Press's translations coordinator. Ariel has two books out this spring, Talking in Code, which released in March, and Stage 2, which continues her DreamSpun Desire series, Lexington Lovers. Stage two arrives May 1st. Welcome, Ariel.
3: It's good to be here. Thank you for having me back.
2: Yeah, we're excited. We only had that little bit of you talking to us uh, at the DSP conference back in uh, 2016. So it's good to have you back to get get to talk more in detail.
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: So I have to ask, before we get into the questions, having just introduced you, what makes you want to retire in India?
3: Everything. (laughs) Okay, that's No, we went... In two thousand three, my husband was born in India, um, moved to the U.S. when he was fifteen, and he hadn't been back. So we went in two thousand three, hoping to get there, you know, so that I could meet his grandparents while some of them, at least, were still alive. Um, I met what his the the two grandparents who were still alive: his mother's father and his father's mother, both of whom were lovely. The area of India that he's from, which is Kerala in southern India, strikes me as just an incredible place. It's beautiful. It's tropical. But the thing that, I, that struck me the most about it was we were there at Christmas. And so we got there in the middle of an Indian, uh, uh, I shouldn't say an Indian, a Hindu holiday. And so there were cr- tons of people, there you were know, fireworks going off every night. But the fireworks just weren't just going off at the Hindu temple. The Catholic Church and the mosque, that were all on the same street, put off fireworks too. Because our neighbors were celebrating. And so we should celebrate with them. And then a few days later, it was Christmas, we go to midnight mass, after midnight mass, we're putting fireworks off at at the Catholic Church, and the next thing you know, there are fireworks going off at the temple and at the mosque, because we're celebrating, and so they should celebrate with us. And you don't find that kind of feeling in so many places in the world. Mm -hmm. Too many places are all about the divisions. And not about my neighbors are celebrating. Let me celebrate with them.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that. I like this little story too. That your husband was born in India but grew up in the U.S. But you found him in France. Yes. <laughs> there's a book there. There's <laughs> yeah, a book we, there somewhere. We
3: students the same semester in Dijon, um, and that's where we got to know each other. I had actually met him before we went to France, but I could have told you all of two or three things about him. Um, and actually he didn't, he didn't go up, he, he moved to the U.S. when he was 15. He was in Nigeria for most of his childhood. Oh, wow. He's had an interesting life.
2: <laughs> There's a book there somewhere.
3: Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you know, my advent calendar story for 2015 incorporated some of our trip to India. Okay. I, 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 I tend to do that. I tend to grab things that have struck me and, and have them show back up in books.
2: Oh, sure. Speaking of books, let's dive in. Okay. Talking in Code, which was the yes. book that came out back in March. Tell us what that's about.
3: Talking in Code is a paramilitary, not paranormal, but paramilitary, meaning they're not part of the official military, um, menage romance. Uh, but it doesn't start at the beginning of the story, which is the thing that made it both interesting and challenging to write. Um at the Three Center Workshop, and this was something that really struck me, Kate McMurray made a comment that the story starts when the status quo breaks
4: mm-hmm.
3: in one of her presentations. And I thought, okay, that explains why talking in code doesn't start at the beginning, why it doesn't start the day that the three men meet. Because that's not where the status quo breaks. The status quo breaks when the way that they worked their relationship out didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that goes back into what we, what we ended up with or what, what we started with was essentially a long-term couple and one of the guys in the long-term couple was kind of interested in another guy. And, and so they brought him in, but the third guy always kind of felt like Richard was playing along that Tim was the one who was interested in Eric, and so Richard was just kind of going along with it to make Tim happy. And Richard always kind of felt like Eric was really interested in Tim and just took him because the only way he could have Tim was to also be involved with Richard. Okay, so this has been going on this way. And it's not that that Eric and Richard don't get along. It's not that they fight. It's nothing like that. It's just that they never really developed a relationship between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So the book begins when situation forces Eric and Richard to finally develop that third leg of the triangle. Because Tim is injured in the hospital Mm -hmm. and isn't in a position to be there and be that pivot point around which the two of them circle. And so they've got to be with each other because Tim's not there. And that's that's the starting point of the book.
2: Uh When the status quo breaks.
3: When the status quo breaks.
2: What was your inspiration for this? Because this sounds like you took on several challenges here paramilitary and this kind of different structure to story and that kind of thing.
3: This was one of those that just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, stories for me come from lots of different places. Maybe it's a snippet of a conversation. Maybe it's a comment that Nikki makes to me, that they're frequently a comment that Nikki makes to me. Maybe it's a dream and maybe just the idea pops up. And the thing for me as a reader, as well as, as a writer is that I get bored easily. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read the same thing over and over and over again, which doesn't mean that I don't go back and reread favorite books. But if I've read a story, then the next one needs to be different. It's honestly one of the reasons why so much of the reading that I did growing up was, was fantasy rather than romance because romance felt repetitive a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so as a writer, that's kind of what I'm always doing. I'm always looking for where's the next challenge? Where's the thing that's gonna make the next book interesting to me? Because <laughs> if it's not interesting to me, there's no way I'm gonna make it interesting to, to my readers. Right. Um, and so this was just one of those ideas that popped up. I was reading a lot of military stuff at the time, you know, romance, fan fiction, the whole nine yards and kind of playing around with the idea of it would be different to write something in there. And here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know,
2: and it's the start of a new series, right?
3: Well, yes and no. Um, my my blog tour around this book, because as I said, it starts in the middle of their relationship. So there was no first meeting across the room. There was no first kiss. There was no, how are we bringing Eric into this relationship? It was, the, the book starts with fixing the third leg. And so I wrote seven short stories that came up to about 10,000 words that hit some of those highlights. From the early piece of the relationship that were that were referenced in the book weren't written out. Mm-hmm. And so actually what that series piece refers to, those books are gonna be those seven short stories are gonna be packaged as an ebook and thrown up on Dream Center site for free. Oh nice. Okay. That way people who wh- whether they read them in the blog tool or not, they'll be able to have them on their e-readers, on their Kindles, you know, wherever they read from. And be able to ha- keep those stories instead of having to try to always go back and find the blog posts and what if the blog closes and blah, 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 blah. Well,
2: that's, that's so awesome. I like that.
3: It, yes. So it's, it, the, the series pieces are the seven prequels, mm-hmm. seven little short stories about 10,000 words. And, and they'll be free. I believe they come out in June Excellent. or July. Now that I've said June, I'm not sure. Sometime <laughs> this summer, they'll this be on our Dream Center's website as a, as a free, short, free download for anybody who wants them.
2: Now flipping over to a completely different kind of book. Yes, we've got stage two coming out on May first. Yes, and that's another installment in Lexington Lovers for the Dreamspun Desires series. What's happening in Lexington this time?
3: We are headed to a high school. Um, we have an assistant principal at Henry Clay High School, which incidentally is the school where my sister works. <laughs> so I was able to get lots of good information from her about all the ways. That's the thing about this whole Lexington series. I grew up there. This is this is home for me, even if I have not lived there in almost 30 years. Um, and so when I wrote the first one, and it was with the horses and the horse farms, where else was I gonna set it, but the ho- horse world in Lexington that I had been such a part of growing up. Um, the farm is based on one that I worked at, um, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and then when I got ready to write the second one, I thought, do I want to just have some random very and Desires, or do I want to try to link them in some way? Mm-hmm. And the idea came up that I could set them all in Lexington. And then I could do fun things like having Clay and Luke from Unstable Stud make a cameo in Matchless Man, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, without having to be linked, without anybody having to have read one in order to read the other. But for the people who do read them all, there's little Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, back to stage two specifically. We have an assistant principal um, at Henry Clay High School who is trying to help two troubled teens, and in the process of trying to help his two, two, these two troubled teens, meets their guardian slash uncle, who it turns out is the guy he had his very first crush on when he was in high school 20 years ago. Now the other guy didn't know it at the time, freshman and senior. You know, Faye does, does, doesn't remember Blake at all, but Blake remembers Faye. <laughs> uh, Faye has a history with high school administrators. He was a bit of a bad boy in high school, and so when he comes into the office, even though he doesn't, you know, he doesn't remember Blake. He has none of that history. He has his own history with what it means to be called into the office and what high school administrators are like, etc. And so he comes in with an attitude. And so you have the, the sparks fly. And so it's a mixture of the one that got away and enemies to lovers, because of course when Thane walks in that office, Blake is the enemy.
2: Even I can't wait to read. Blake
3: does see I... Fane that way. Thane certainly sees Blake that way. Um, and the other piece of this then is Thane's only been guardian of his nephews for about six weeks. So you could almost call it a secret baby kind of thing, Mm -hmm. unexpected kid. Um, His sister, his twin sister had died of cancer and he took the boys after her death, which really only barely plays in the story. It only in the sense that the the boys are troubled, obviously having lost their mother and having been displanted to live with their uncle. But there's also the piece of the thing and the boys having to develop that relationship and how his relationship with them plays into
2: his eventual relationship with blank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I'm looking forward to reading this. I love second chance stories. And then you throw, you know, friend, enemies to friends in there, too. It's really yes. gonna be fun. Yes. I like how you incorporate uh, children slash teenagers slash siblings in the books. Like, I really liked Matchless Man mm-hmm. with how the, the romance in that was almost of an equal weight to how the brothers were forming their relationship too. Right.
3: Well, you know, we, nobody exists in a bubble. The relationship that certainly in a romance you have to have a romantic relationship or you don't have a romance. Right. But the idea that you would that the only characters who matter, the only characters who influence things are the two main characters or if we go back to talking in code, the three main characters just doesn't hold weight. I mean you know, go back to my husband and me for a minute. If it hadn't been for our friend Brian, who was the best man in our wedding, telling my husband, hey, you do know she's interested in you, right? (laughs) And he says, no. (laughs) I couldn't have been any more obvious. I mean, really, I couldn't have been any more obvious. If it hadn't been for Brian, I don't know that my husband would have ever gotten a clue. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, 20 years, almost 21 years later, well, 25 if you count from when we started dating, you know, where would I be? Maybe not where I am, you know? So romance doesn't happen in a vacuum. And not including those other things, to me, does a disservice to the, to the depth of the story.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: How um, many especially more? in the case of like the brother in Maxwell's Man or the nephews in stage two, where those relationships are going to impact not just the romance, not just the falling in love piece, but the long-term life piece. hmm you know, if, if Brent and Davashen are gonna to be together, Achuk's gonna to be a part of that. Yep. Not in a romantic sense, but he's gonna be part of their lives and his presence is gonna impact that. And that if if Brent weren't okay with that, if he didn't know how to manage that, the, the romance wouldn't be believable. And the, the same thing is gonna be true with, with Blake and Faye. If the nephews can't, if they can't fit into that creation of a family, then that romance isn't going to be believable.
2: So, you mentioned Lexington's where you grew up and, and why you set the Lexington Lovers series there. How many more books do you foresee in, in the series as, as, as time goes on?
3: Um, I have one more already sort of basically plotted out. Um, the answer is as many as I feel like right. Because, with it not happening, I mean, Lexington's not a huge city, it's not Houston, but 300,000 people. Two universities, the horse industry—you know—there's a lot going on in Lexington, and so there's a lot of pretty much any story that I envisioned that didn't involve military mm-hmm. could be set in Lexington. So it's more a matter of, oh, this would make a good drink fun. Okay, let me write it in Lexington, um, as opposed to having a set number of stories in mind. Mm-hmm. And because they can be read in any order because they're they're only loosely connected, there's not the sense of okay i've got to plan out the whole series because people are going to be waiting to see what happens they're going to be waiting for so and so's story they're not waiting for any specific character story because it does that's not the way it works you know, you don't meet. Blake and Thane in Matchless Man. You see Brent in Nava or you see Brent, Nava is referred to, you see Brent in stage two. But you're not waiting for Blake and Thane's story at the end of Matchless Man because you haven't met them yet. Mm -hmm. And so there's not the, the, oh, I've got to have this all laid out in advance, which I don't do very well. (laughs) Total cancer. Total cancer. Um, But so, as I said, one more plan and then we'll see.
2: Good. So we talked about the cat in the bio. Yes. But I hear a dog. Do you want to introduce the dog?
3: I have two dogs, Max and Milo. Um, They are in the other room, but they don't like the the yard man that's out in my neighbor's yard, and that's what they're barking at.
2: Oh, bad yard man. They want to be
3: let out of their kennel so that they can go stand at the window and bark at the yard man.
2: (laughs) So we talked about Talking in Code being a very different book, and then we've got – these the dreamspuns that you do that, of course, right. follow the category romance kind of recipe, right? And then you talked about how you like to stay fresh as a writer. So certainly, we see the mix in in in, in there. What's it like to you to swing back and forth in these styles as you go from book to book? Because you must go project to project relatively quickly because you're tr- putting out books regularly,
3: mm-hmm. right? Um. Honestly, coming off of Talking in Code was hard. Stage two was actually written before Talking in Code, but because of the Dream Sun schedule, it's not coming out until after. Mm -hmm. Uh, That just was coincidentally. But it is coming off of Talking in Code and going into my next project, which is the third of my At Your Service series, which is the stories inspired by um, waiters that I have known in various places, the restaurants in the world. this one is set in Germany, and but coming off of talking in code, which was an immediate drop you into the middle of the action, drive you as hard as I as I could, kind of story to the new waiter book, which is a much slower start. It was definitely an adjustment, um, and I think it took me a little bit longer to go to do that transition than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um. Of course, I'm also going to blame part of that on the fact that I finished Talking in Code and then I, and then I had the idea for the prequels and so went and started. So I wasn't quite, like, I was trying to start the next project while I was still hadn't quite let go of Talking in Code
4: Yeah.
3: because I was doing the, the short stories around it. Um, and then, of course, with all the edits and everything that hit, it was a long time before I was completely out of that mindset. And so th- it was a bit of a challenge to switch gears this time. Um, more so than I expected.
2: How many projects do you tend to have going at once?
3: Um, it depends. It depends on whether I'm writing with Nikki, which we're currently not working on something. Um, we finished Stronghold and we have one more book that we're going to, that we have planned together, but we haven't started it yet because she has a doing son deadline for the end of this month. And, she doesn't juggle projects as well. I shouldn't say as well as easily as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she tends to, especially if she has a fixed deadline, she tends to write one thing and then be done with it and then go to write the other. So at the moment, Nikki and I don't have anything that we're working on together. Um,
2: and we could say I that's have, Nikki Bennett who you've
3: yes, partnered up Bennett, with. Yes, Nikki Bennett. I write with on occasion. Um, I try to make it more frequently, but you know, life keeps getting in the way, hers yes. or mine. And because, you know, with all the gearing up for the Paris book fair last month, I didn't get a whole lot of writing done the last three months myself. So that's why I tend to have lots of releases in the spring and not as many releases in the fall, because in the spring when I'm writing or I'm not writing. So when I'm writing, the the books then come out, you know, six months after that. Um, Anyway. At the moment, I have what I would consider. Two active projects plus. Some things that I've written a little bit on, I've written a little bit on, and might and you know may eventually go back and pick up. Um, so the two active projects are the fourth Lexington Lovers book and then the third Waiter's book that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of which have a title yet because I'm not good at titles. I finish the book and I send it to Nikki and I say it needs a title, <laughs> and usually she comes up with one for me.
2: And what's your overall process? Plotter, pantser, in the middle? Absolute
3: pantser. It drives Nikki crazy because <laughs> she's a complete plotter, which makes writing together interesting at times. Um, no, I am very much a pantser. The, I, have, I start a story with a situation, a general idea of the characters, a, a general idea of the conflict, and a happy ending. Mm-hmm. because you know I'm writing romance so happy ending is a given um, and then the other thing that I, I work very hard to keep in mind not planning ahead but as I'm writing is the idea of and I think you were at, the, at Damon's scene and sequence presentation mm-hmm. yeah. is that idea that you know so that there needs to be something happens and then there's an emotional reaction that leads to something happening that leads to an emotional reaction. I don't have to know what those are ahead of time. I just have to know that I'm going into this scene and something's going to happen that's going to cause this kind of emotional moment. And then as I write through that emotional moment, I can see, okay, that's gonna lead to this. I used to try to plot and my characters kept throwing my plot out the water window and saying no that's not the story we have to tell and so I've discovered for myself that if I will let them tell me their story it's a much more authentic tale at the end
2: How, did that work well in Talking in Code because that book seems more complex than A Dream Spun Desire or some of the other contemporaries that you've done
3: the thing about it I mean, it is in certain respects, but in other respects, it isn't. Because, ultimately, you know, for all of the trappings around it that put them in the situation they're in, what it really is is a really, really, really broken man trying, and, and his lover trying to help him put himself back together.
2: Mm-hmm. I guess if you, when you boil it right down, you, you, I mean, you have a, you know, a, a, yes, a typical they're, romance. Yes, there was research
3: so. into where are they going to be in the hospital, what kinds of, you know, with, with Tim, what, how long is it going to take before Tim's going to be able to wake up, and those kinds of things. But I'm married to a doctor. So, I mean, to some extent, there's a question going and saying, <laughs> hey, tell me how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Zara Owens, who's also a very good friend of mine, is a former ICU nurse. And so between the two of them, you know yes there's issues around okay they're on a military base but they're not actually military they're 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 out they're paramilitary they're former military working alongside the military so mm-hmm. so i wasn't I, you know, I didn't have to worry about getting into a whole lot of, of military regulations and things like that because those for the most part didn't apply to them
2: right they do their own thing
3: they do their own thing they choose which missions they're going to take which means you
2: choose whatever you want <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, to some extent, uh, Richard's comment is we we created their organization to take the missions that the U.S. military couldn't mm-hmm. because they couldn't be seen to be involved in a place, not the ones that they wouldn't, as in they it was too risky. Mm-hmm. So you know, they but and so uh, so there, yes, there were traffic that were complicated. There certainly were relationship pieces because even with even as Richard and Eric were building that third leg of their triangle, Tim loomed large in, in that conversation because even though he wasn't in the room at that moment because he was in the hospital in ICU, he was coming back. You know, After about 40 pages, they knew he was going to live. They just didn't know when he was going to wake up and what, and, and what his recovery was going to look like. So there was always that we're going to have to bring him back in you know, he's going to be part of this again, and so there was that piece that was a little bit more complicated. But this isn't the first menage story I've written either.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Um, so it is the first one where we had an established couple bringing in a third as opposed to the threesome forming as a threesome. But you know, like I said, it keeps it interesting, that's
4: right.
3: <laughs> and yes, it did work. I mean, I really, I, again, I had the beginning. Happy ending, this was
2: the issue. Now, besides being an author, you also coordinate Dreamspinners' translations. Yes. Tell tell us what that entails and and give our audience who may not understand just exactly how many languages DSP has their books in these days.
3: Okay, well, there are two pieces to it. We do do in-house translations which actually all are funneled through me to a group of translators in Italian, German, and French. Um, But then I also work with a group of foreign publishers who sub-license our books. And at this point, we are in 12 different languages. So we have sub-licensed our books into French, Spanish, German, Italian, Turkish, Hungarian, Finnish, Hebrew... Korean, Thai, Japanese, and Malaysian.
2: Which is just incredible.
3: Yes. And that number is, that's what we've done so far. You know, if we, we're in negotiations with a, with a publisher in Brazil. Um, we've had some interest in um, Taiwan, with the possibility of it going into Chinese. We, you know, had some interest in Greece. So... Who knows what tomorrow will bring.
2: Right. What's um, involved so, in, in picking the titles and actually getting the translations to make sure that the, everything, for lack of a better word, translates
3: Right. Correctly? Well, <laughs> it, that, I just actually had this conversation with an author whose title was an idiomatic expression. Um, you know, uh, a set phrase where, to, are you, I don't, to, not to insult anybody's intelligence but a figurative expression, one where the words don't, or where the meaning of the, of the phrase is more than the meaning of the individual words. Mm, okay. So if something like, I'm climbing the walls, you're not actually climbing the walls, it's a, it's a figurative expression. Anyway, the title was a figurative expression, for which there was not a comparable expression in German. Mm. And so we were going back and forth with, how are we going to translate this title? So that we get both the sense of it and the sense of the story. Mm-hmm. We finally found a compromise, um, but it was not. A, it was not a simple thing. It was not an oh, let's call it this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for the ones that, for the ones that are sublicensed, those publishers approach us and they request the rights to the books that they feel are going to work in their markets for their publishing houses. Uh, so, I mean, I have. Uh, monthly newsletter that I send out to them with all of our upcoming releases so that they're aware of what our books are, but it's up to them ultimately to decide what they're going to publish. Um, In terms of the things that we do in-house, we've had our translations department now for five years, and so we have some market data on what the different markets enjoy reading. What books sell in Italy, what books sell in, in Germany, what books sell in France? When we started, we were starting with our all-time bestsellers on the on the theory that if they were an all-time bestseller, they probably would have a fairly universal appeal.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's actually played out fairly well, but then as we started getting into other things, what we've discovered, for example, is that the French love their mysteries, and so... Unlike, say, in the US, where contemporary romance, pure and simple, tend to be our best sellers, our best sellers in France tend to be the ones with a mystery subplot or a historical subplot, you know, or a historical setting, which is the complete opposite of the US Uh, or the English market, is what I guess what I should say. The Italian market very much mimics the US market. Contemporaries are by far the most popular with Westerns, Paranormals coming in second and with other things much lower down. And the Germans really like their Westerns and they really like their BBSM.
2: That's a little uh, disparate between Westerns and BDSM.
3: You know, I'm telling you what the sales data says. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not making any value judgments, any explanations. This is what the sales data says. Right. So at this point, you know, it used to be that translation was pretty much this, take a book, translate it all the way across the board. At this point, we are very much tailoring things to the markets. And so a book that's translated into French may or may not be translated into German or Italian or may not be translated as quickly into German or Italian. Uh, and the same thing for German: a book that goes into German first or into Italian first. Uh, but we're very, very excited about the growth that we've seen. We have just this year managed to get uh, enough German translators that we're now up to a German translation every week. We've been at that level for Italian for a while. Um, At French, we're actually working on moving to six a month instead of four a month. We had been doing a release a week, but now what we're going to do is a novel a week and a couple of novellas each month. Mm -hmm. And because this is where we're seeing growth. We had huge growth across the board in all three languages last year for the second year in a row we've had significant, like three-digit percentage growth Mm -hmm. across the board. Um, And so it's kind of hard to argue with, actually, the French growth was Mm
2: 3,000%.
3: Kind of hard to argue with that, (laughs) with those growth figures.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, that's just amazing. And it even extends to, like, formatting some of these books into new creations. Cause there are the ones that we saw at the DSP conference that are becoming the graphic novels in yeah. submarkets.
3: That's right. Um, and that's starting, I actually starts um, with our, one of our Korean partners, but we have the rights to those images. And so um, we have a French translator who also speaks Korean, who is translating and English. Um, who is translating the graphic novels from Korean back into English because they're being created in Korean from the Korean translations of those books. Mm-hmm. So she's translating them back into English so that the authors can go through them and make sure that the dialogue reads in English the way they want them to be read. And then at that, once those are complete in English, we'll actually be able to have those translated into any language we want to have them translated into.
2: That's so amazing. So that's very exciting. Yeah. That must be an exciting part of your job to get to work in that separate from your from your author oh, side, yes. since you do love language so much.
3: I do. I do. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, my French translators at this point all know, or most of them know that I speak French, and so I actually end up, you know, about half the emails I send on any given day are in French instead of in English, which is fun because it keeps me in practice.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so... In terms of the rest of the year, you mentioned the fourth Lexington novel being worked on along with the next one in At Your Service. Anything else kind of that we can look forward to as, as 2017 rolls on?
3: No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think, I, hate to say, I hate to say it that way, but the reality is that I finished Talking in Code and then all the preparation for the Paris Book Fair hit. Right. And during that time, I do very little writing. And so my, my comment about my books all coming out in the first six months of the year and then nothing in the second half of the year, there's a reason for that.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and seeing as how I already have more authors signed up for the Paris Le Pierre next year than I even had this year, I expect that to reproduce itself. You know, now that that's over, I'll be able to write for the next six months, get some things ready that'll be out for the beginning of 2018 during that period when I'll be preparing everything for Paris and going to Paris and not writing.
2: Right, so we'll talk again about this time next year for Lexington Four and at your service. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's the best way for folks to keep up with you online so they can track everything with your writing and your and your translations and everything else that goes on?
3: Um, I'm on Facebook. As Ariel Tachna, Um, I do have an author page that I always forget about. So, friend me on my on my profile. That's a much better way to get information from me. Um, I am on Twitter, except that at the moment my phone is not cooperating, so I am not on Twitter very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, at Ariel Topna, and then um, they can check out my website at arieltopna.com.
2: You have branded yourself perfectly. Poppy with the proud. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I did that for enough years for or all those lectures I gave about how to make sure you're branded. Uh, practice what you preach.
2: That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Ariel, thank you so much for being with us. It's been excellent talking with you.
3: My pleasure.
1: Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. Coming up in episode
0: 82, Dream Spinner Press Associate Art Director and now Coloring Book Author, Paul Richmond is going to be here, along with cover designer Aaron Anderson. And they're going to join
2: us for a little coloring book party. That's right. You know, some shows have cooking segments, we do coloring segments, because why not? (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of fun, so be sure to come back
1: and check it out. Until then, everyone, please keep reading, and we'll see you next week. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.